1: just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're going to lose. Coming down the stretch, you're going to lose.
0: And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green-white and ride. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod here to discuss Michigan State's final non-conference game against Indiana State Sycamores. It's the first rematch between the teams since the 1979 Classic National Championship game with Magic versus Bird. Uh, But before we begin, we'd like to thank Brian Scalacci, who gave us a one-time gift via Venmo. Thanks, Brian, and all of you who support the show. Check out slash support if you'd like to find ways to support the show as well. We'd also like to welcome a new sponsor to the show, the Squeegee Squad, which we'll talk about later. Uh, However, before we begin discussing the game, uh, let's talk about the startling news that came out days after MSU's last game against Stony Brook. Jeremy Fears was back home in Joliet, Illinois, over the holiday break gathering with some friends at someone's house on early Saturday morning, I guess it was, uh, when a masked individual came into the house and by all reports just started randomly shooting. Uh, from the report I saw from Jeremy's dad, it sounds as if the assailant was shooting randomly, hitting like refrigerators, TVs, the wall. And fortunately, he hit Jeremy Fears in the thigh and a young woman in the abdomen. Uh, fortunately, both young adults were rushed to the hospital, recovered fully. However, the bullet that hit Fears lodged in his, what I can only assume is his femur, requiring a long surgery to extract it. And according to a statement from his father's, Fears will be out three months, which is pretty much the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, that's that's what it, it looks like. Um, you haven't seen anything official um, beyond that one interview uh, that his father gave. Uh, but there was some footage released of Jeremy leaving the hospital, which is great in and of itself that he was able to leave. I think it was the day after surgery. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and that's great that he was able to leave, but, uh, you're the doctor here, not me, but I would say <laughs> from looking at the way he was moving, I can believe three months It did not look like this is something he's going to shake off in a a couple of weeks. Um, So that seems that seems reasonable to me. Um, Obviously, uh, I mean, we could we could spend days talking about different aspects of this and it it doesn't (laughs) doesn't do us any good to to do so. Um, Just a sense senseless. A uh, ridiculous act that that thankfully um, could have been much much worse, but wasn't. Um, one thing that his father said, and again we're we're relying on that here, and and nothing, no other verification. But I, I don't see why he'd have a reason to misstate it. Um, is that supposedly the shot that Jeremy took missed a major artery by like an inch? And yep if it had if it had been there rather than where where it entered him this could have been a much much worse situation um so that's yeah for sure obviously it 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 goes way beyond basketball or any of that stuff um you know we've been fortunate enough to have Jeremy on this program he's um in our interaction with him I think he was every bit, uh, the person that Tom Izzo has talked about as uh, an engaging kid. Um, you could see very easily the leadership qualities, and we've seen it in his play. I mean, I think he's, from a basketball standpoint, which admittedly is the far, far lesser uh, uh, in, in the element in terms of importance here, uh, from a basketball standpoint, the timing obviously could not have been worse because I think he was coming off his best game. Uh, he had, if yep. if you recall, he had ten assists. I think he had one turnover. Um, just and and he's been doing this for a while, where he just looks. Uh, we've talked about it here how comfortable he looked, um, very assertive in running Michigan State's break. He's been lights out defensively. Um, and you could just see him continuing to grow game in game out. Uh, obviously that's, we're not going to see any more growth on the court, but I, and this stuff gets into the realm of cliches. So I don't want to take it too far, but I would bet knowing the little bit that I do about him that, um, he's going to take this and use it. Um, um, yeah, somehow some yeah. way as as fuel as as a player as a person that that's what i would suspect is that this is this is going to end up being something that is a building block and i and i don't want to compare the events because they're, they're very different but you know longtime msu fans will remember uh the rollover that mateen cleaves was in as a high school senior on a on a a visit to Michigan um, where he was in a vehicle with some Michigan players and uh, it was a Ford Explorer that rolled over on the highway. His back was hurt. And that ended up, you know, basically, I, I, it didn't wipe out his his senior year of high school and his freshman year of Michigan State, but it severely compromised him. He was He was wearing a brace. At times, I mean, he was just—he was not even close to the same player, and he was never really the same player athletically as he was before that injury. But I also think that it fueled Mateen Cleaves, and Mm -hmm. I think it was such a big part of his story that I wonder if he—he was always a really driven kid, but I wonder if. Getting going through that that incident, being tested that way, perhaps was part of what made him so relentless in terms of trying to win a championship at Michigan State um, and trying to you know get himself back to the, the level where he could be drafted in the first round and play in the NBA. All those things he did. Um, this is a, a different situation in some ways, but it does there are a lot of corollaries between those two guys we've talked about even when Jeremy was being recruited and um in some weird way i think this may end up being another one that it's a it's a severe challenge thank god it wasn't worse um and we can talk you know lightly about well when he comes back and and all of that thank god we're able to talk about that um but i won't be surprised if he uses it in that way
0: yeah, no, I, I think there's no question about that. Certainly seems like the type of individual he is, and uh, certainly we are all sort of shaped by our past and uh, what happens to us and how we respond to that. Uh, and without you know what, wandering too far into the realm of speculation, I you know I watched the video. I thought he was moving really well. If anything, he looked a little clunky on crutches because it looked like it was kind of he's not used to them. Yeah, uh, but I thought he was able to navigate pretty easily all the um, obstacles, you know, walking the stairs and things like that. So um, I thought he looked really good. And I, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't close the door on the possibility of seeing him this season. Uh, Okay. You know, not as having no idea as far as what happened, you know, exactly. And what the damage and those sorts of things Uh, with an athlete like that. Of course, the big question is if, if it's a, what sort of the extent of damages to the to the bone it obviously we they'll heal and um you know if there's any other damage to soft tissue like muscles and things like that but i my impression is it sounds like there was just sort of damage to the bone itself and so that will heal it's just a matter of you know when is it safe to do high impact basketball stuff i mean imagine he'll be walking on it pretty soon it's just a matter of when you can actually do the stuff that you need to do right. at the level that he plans to do it and you know how quickly, you can get back to all the other sort of things you do, you know, lateral, you know, moving side right. to side and, you know, back and forth and all those kind of things you need to do to be effective. My guess is though, that this would not be as, um, career changing, altering, you know, injury as, as other things. Okay. You know, and that was what I was going to gonna ask
1: so you for your take on that'd that. That'd be my so hunch. Okay. I,
0: but I will, I, when I get a hold of one of my orthopedic friends, I will ask them if they know any if they have a hunch too but again you know it is total speculation because we have you know none right. of us saw what the damage was and so it's a guess. but i would very little yeah. information has been made available for sure but of course you know he's young he's an athlete he's you know got excellent balance all those sorts of things going can make it a lot easier for his recovery than someone who's 75 who has the same thing right. happen, obviously and um and i would say you know again just watching the video he looked he looked comfortable which is a little surprising. Maybe he had some, a lot of pain meds and stuff on board, but he didn't look like right. he was, um, struggling f- from, a, things you worry about like balance or strength. He looked like, he, and I general, I would think if it's a pretty localized surgery, which it probably was, I would think that your, your recovery would be pr- pretty good. I mean, I think, you know, the muscle is pretty forgiving. You've got it in your, uh, uh, in your quads. So anyway all that said, we don't know. He'll obviously be out for some time and it may get to the point where it's beyond where it's reasonable for him to come back. You know, I think, you know, even if it's eight weeks or, you know, we're looking at March and then, you know, how do you get reintegrated? Can you, what, what is your fitness right. et cetera, et cetera. But it much like Jackson Kohler, I think, you know, you have to see him practicing how he mm-hmm. does practicing. And then when you feel comfortable with him coming back and playing, but I think, you know, in the, a difference from him and Jackson, it's probably gonna be more a, we're gonna look at the films. Does it look at like the healing process is effective? If it is, you know, when are you cleared in the sense that, you know, you f- we feel comfortable that you can, you know, put high impact on it versus a Jackson Kohler or like, you know, Aikens or Hall last year, at the feet where you have to be, have, you know, this, it's sort of more nebulous when it, when it's okay to come back, when the, you know, the pain is gone, you can do what you need to do. I think that will be less an issue as more just, just when they feel it's advisable to get back in,
1: uh, on your feet, uh, I would also say this strictly from a basketball point of view. Like the first thing that goes when you're going through a period of inactivity is the shot. Um, if you're unable to shoot for a long period of time, it it, it will take a while for that to come back. Usually, uh, that was not a particular strength of Jeremy's game anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. If he were able physically, and this is again in the realm of wild speculation, sure. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna take the little bit we've heard at face value and assume that the odds are extremely low. But if he were able to let's say be back by the end of February physically, I do think there's a chance that they could actually play him because oh, yeah. the things that he does um are not as likely to atrophy as say if it was Tyson Walker if it was Tyson mm-hmm. Walker I say hey it's it's going to be tough for that shot to come back that quickly if he's had to take and the other thing too is in fairness he might not really be taking all that time off from shooting anyway because sometimes that is something that, that kids are able to do while they're still recovering is they're actually yeah, for sure shoot. Yeah, right. They're not moving very much, but they can shoot. Uh, but that that was just my point about Jeremy's game at this point, his development. Um, the biggest thing to me, obviously, the number one thing is his health, generally speaking. Um, that's the thing we care about the most. It looks like that's going to be fine. Um, yeah. So then when you move on to the basketball realm, I think the biggest thing, is well, you just want him to have a normal off season and heading into next year because his role next year is going to be much bigger. Um, I think that looks from from the little bit we know right now that would seem to be very much on the table as a strong possibility that you know by the time April rolls around he's full go. And, and that's really the biggest thing. If you get him back this year, make a little contribution, that's a huge bonus. But I just want him to have, for his development, for Michigan State's development, I want him to have as normal an offseason as possible because as much as he's helped this year, next year, he's going to be a critical piece. And they really need him. Um, I, the other thing, too, that I would say about this, because I saw... I saw a, a handful of people making this point, which I, I disagreed with on, um, on social media, was, you know, oh, this is terrible. He's losing all these reps. It's so important for a freshman. And, and normally I would agree with that, but I think that there's a big difference between Jeremy Fears and, say, Xavier Booker. Xavier Booker, this would be pretty devastating because he's just now starting to find his sea legs a little bit. And I think whatever reps he gets going forward could be hugely important for his development. To me, Jeremy fears pretty much from day one was ready to go. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful he got whatever time he was able to get in November or December, but I don't feel like, boy, he really needed those minutes to take a a step forward. So next year, he's ready to play a bigger role. No, he's a, he was ready. He yeah. he could handle a bigger role than he's been given. Honestly, it's that Michigan State's got so many guards that they don't ask that of him. But if Jeremy fears, you know, if the Illinois coaching staff had been smarter than they are. <laughs> You know, in the end they didn't want to take a commitment from him because they didn't think he could shoot well enough, which is still mind blowing to me. But if he was on that team that so desperately needs a point guard, I think Jeremy Fears is a twenty five minute a night guy. I think he could handle that right now. Definitely. Or could have before this incident. So I you know, I'm not trying to you know, sunny side up this thing, but I really I really don't think this is going to be um A major major deal in his development you know I just don't I, I think that I think that he's already a kid that that understands what's needed from him understands how to play at this level yes he's got you know he needs to improve his shooting you know there there there's improvement that needs to happen with him but this is not a guy who's in as I said Xavier Booker's situation where every opportunity that he's on the floor is a is a chance to really take necessary steps toward being a functional player. Um, Jeremy fears is functional period more than functional. Yeah. It's actually been remarkable how comfortable he looks out on the court. Uh, the season. As so. at, honestly, I, I I've gone back in my mind. I tried to think about it. Freshman point guards that have looked as comfortable as he has in the Tom O'era, era. Um, Kalen Lucas was pretty comfortable as a different, very different kind of player, but mm-hmm. he was pretty yep. comfortable as a freshman and man, not too many others. Um, uh, you know, Mateen Cleves had physical issues, so that limited him. Um, Marcus Taylor was pretty good as a freshman, what he played. Um, so he would be up there. Not a lot of other guys. I mean, Cassius, Cassius was offensively fine, but you remember, he really struggled defensively his first two years. So I'm not saying Jeremy is better than all of those guys, but in terms of looking comfortable and doing all the things that Michigan State requires for a player at that position, yeah, he's right up there.
0: Yeah, I just, I think that the thing, and you know, just comparing him to Trey Holloman who are, you know, different players, but just the fact in on offense even when he's not looking for a shot, it doesn't It doesn't look like he ever ends up in a position where he looks like, oh, should I shoot? Should I not shoot? You know, there's never that. Right. It just, it always yep. seems fluid with him. It always seems like he's he's comfortable with, you know, who he is and what he's what he's out there to do. Like you said, he knows what his role is. And so anyway, uh, you know, we'll be talking about Jeremy quite a bit throughout the season, I imagine. We're going to have, I imagine after about two weeks, we're going to get a better idea what the rotation's going to look like as far from the guard position and,
1: um, you know, as the pieces fall into place. Well, so, that's, an, that's an interesting component, which maybe we should spend a second sure. talking about. Um, A lot of speculation about that. This is what I think. Um, this puts Michigan State's guard rotation basically back to where it was last year in this sense. You've got the three starters. You've got Trey Holloman. And then you're going to have one bigger wing. I happen to think it's going to largely be Cohen Carr since that's what he's been doing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, and I've seen people speculate about the idea of, well, especially with Jackson Kohler, you know, supposedly coming back um, soon. Does that maybe free up Malik call to play some minutes on the way? Theoretically possible because he's done it before, but I tend to think it will not go that way mostly because Malik has played virtually no win at all this year and Cohen Carr has. So I don't know why this would cause them to all of a sudden say, well, let's switch it up. I I don't think so. I think what we're going to see is a combination. You basically, I didn't look at the number of minutes Jeremy's averaging. I'm going to guess it was somewhere between 15 and 20. Um, I think that's a safe assumption. So that's what you've got to cover. And I think the way that gets covered is you probably see Cohen Carr play a little bit more. And then I think the other four guards will see their minutes rise a little bit. It's not, you know, it's not a huge deal to cover, say, 18 minutes a game between five guys. Yeah. Um, You know, you're basically talking about between three and four minutes more per guy game if if that's if you were doing it equitably and I'm not sure they will but it'll be some combination of that I the good news is they're in much better position in in one important way than they were a year ago in that Trey Holloman is a very different player offense yes, offensively yes right yeah and so you've got that pure guard who well, and and not only is he a different player in terms of his scoring all of that but he's now really well versed in playing both on and off the ball so he could cover any of those spots you know either the wing spots or the point he's he's been doing that in fact he's been playing less point this year because of Jeremy yeah uh, but I feel very comfortable with him as the point guard i think he's shown an improved ability and willingness to penetrate, which is something they need from him. Um his shooting obviously is leaps and bounds better, and he's very confident in letting it fly. He doesn't have any hesitation. Um and and we've all we've commented since he got here that he's so reliable in terms of avoiding mistakes that I, I think he's actually a very, very good option as a backup. And then of course they could also go to Tyson more on the ball than they have thus far. Mm-hmm. I, that's not yep. ideal because I think you want him in a scoring mode, but they certainly have that as an option. You could even do it with Jaden Nakins if push came to shove. I mean, they really are blessed with a lot of guys who can handle that. So that's one bit of a silver lining in this situation is that I don't feel as if it means all of a sudden, wow, they're really caught short with point guard options they had a ton of them coming into the season and they've still got a lot of them so even with jeremy out of the equation so i feel like they're pretty good better than they were last year to to um to handle this uh probably the biggest question is going to be how much more do they get from cohen Carr because he's obviously Mm -hmm. a very different kind of player but um you know, I'm I'm not someone who's going to feel badly about more opportunities for Cohen Carr. I think that <laughs> I think there's a lot of there's he's done a lot of impressive things already, and I think there's a lot of room for growth. Again, one one thing that's occurred to me that maybe will be a benefit to Michigan State in this if Cohen's playing a little more on the wing, you would think there's the possibility that it could impact Michigan State's rebounding. In a positive way, which is something they need. They do need to be. We've talked about it a lot. They need to be a better rebounding team at both ends. And if Cohen's getting more minutes, there's a chance that helps. You know, you're you're not as good maybe in other areas, but that's one that I think could be a positive. So we'll see. Yeah, as you say, you're definitely worse in jump shooting, like like
0: you're about you know saying. But you know, not that much. I mean, Jeremy wasn't taking a ton of jumpers. (laughs) You know. No, no, um, that's true. I wonder, too, you know, um, you know, we are on the brink, we think, of Jackson Collard. I haven't seen any reports whether how he if he's practicing, if he's really I know they had kind of tentatively said he's going to come back for the Penn State game. Uh, mm-hmm. This certainly unclogs things a little bit. I know it's a different position, but, you know, from a minutes distribution and stuff, you, you can you can see a little bit more where you might see Jackson come in. It might be a little easier for him to work his way into the lineup a little bit, especially early. It's just going to be a few minutes here and there, I imagine. But, um, you know, this, you could see a little bit yeah. room made by pushing people down a little bit. So, I don't know. I mean, it's only possible they, that—
1: only, only if they move Malik Hall of the way. I don't think it changes much. And I don't think they're going to do that. No, you don't think I don't you think could go to the four to,
0: to back up Malik? Is what I'm is what I'm thinking. Well, like, you okay, know you have...
1: then then Xavier maybe, but then Xavier Booker's not playing. No, no, I yeah, you know, right. Keep it keep in mind. So I I don't think that, that this is the thing. I think there have been some people that have looked at this and and wanted to see Malik call moving to the wing for that reason. Because oh, well, this means we can play Jackson some and still get Xavier Booker minutes. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that I believe that's going to happen, and I don't know that it makes Michigan State better to do that. You know, I mean, let's put it this way. Malik's had his bouts with inconsistency. Does it really feel like this is the best move <laughs> to make right. to say, well, let's put a little more on his plate? You know, I, I and does it make Michigan State that much better? And where you've got a, an option in Cohen Carr who's been doing it, you know, the yeah. other option too, which we haven't talked about, is th- they could always, I suppose, look now, take the red shirt off Garrick Norman. I don't think they're going to do that.
0: Yeah, um, and he's injured, that would as be far as we un- know.
1: Well, right, and I don't know how serious that. I my, my sense is that wasn't a serious injury. That that yeah. the boot was more precautionary, precautionary in nature. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that this really changes anything. For Jackson Kohler I mean that's that's my two cents at least we'll have to see maybe I'll be wrong and we'll see Malik Hall playing a lot of wing it's I I would say this if Jackson Kohler were for some reason to come out of the gate just smoking hot really playing well um then maybe that would force Michigan State staff to think about it more Mm -hmm. But I I still see a clogged path in there, unless they were to just decide, well, we're going to sit book, which I don't know that I would do. I would want to continue giving him some opportunities. I just think it's going to be hard. I think, you know, Jackson missing two months when he missed it was really, really tough for him. And I look at this thing now, I don't see easy paths to a lot of minutes. I think they'll, they'll try to play them and they'll see what they've got. But I I don't, and, and and again, my expectations are very low, not because I don't believe in him as a player, but because he's missed two months and the biggest questions I had about him coming in, were all on the defensive end and I'm going to be surprised, whatever Whatever progress he made over the summer and the fall in that regard, I'm going to be surprised if if he's fully up to speed and ready to go on that end immediately. Offensively, I could buy it. Defensively, I got to see it.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I think probably still the best route is him making a dent in the five and, and displacing either Cooper or Sissoko there minutes initially. Um, yeah. And again, I still am... I'm still not convinced he's, we're going to see him on the floor this year until I actually see him on the floor this year. Cause I me think too.
1: I, I people yeah. talk about this as if it's, and I understand why, because that's the way Izzo is talked. But uh, you know, when yeah, he went at back, point, yeah. when, when he went back into the boot, that didn't, that didn't look great to me yeah. as a, you know, yeah. as a, as a sign of where he's at it, it, they admitted, Yeah. He was feeling a little bit of pain. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Sometimes, that's it doesn't mean very much and sometimes it does so yeah i'm with you the first step is let's see him actually play
0: yeah i mean he was still in the boot at the oakland game so that's i think a little yeah. discouraging because that's he was still you know, the boot was not, not the, that long ago the
1: last, game. Yeah. Well, last game yeah yeah right yeah yeah right. stony brook yeah they, well they had said they were going to keep him in the boot till after christmas so now the rubber we're after christmas now the rubber's gonna hit the road all right so let's talk about indiana state <laughs> So they're
0: visiting Michigan State and Breslin on the 30th, and like I mentioned before, this is a rematch. This is the only uh, game they've played since that national title game in 79. So um, they're expected to be a contender for the Missouri Valley, who I follow sort of peripherally because my father's alma mater is Drake, who has won the Missouri Valley the last couple of years. Um, They've been very good this over this year. They're 11-1 with their only loss coming by 22 in the opener to Alabama on the road. Uh, they've only played one that one game against a Power Six opponent, so their their opposition has not been super strong. But they've been wa- winning all those games, and their best player, Robbie Avila, was not playing against Alabama. So take that for what it's worth. They're ranked 59th overall in Ken Palm uh, compared to Michigan State is 21st. So Michigan State has definitely gone up quite a bit from the early days. Uh, they're 23rd in the net, so that actually makes them uh, a pretty good opponent for Michigan State if they do well in Missouri Valley. Uh, they're 33rd on offense, Ken Palm, but only 96 on defense. On offense, they shoot threes well. Boy, this sounds familiar. Uh, they're 3rd th- in three-point shooting at 41.4%. They're 6th from twos, so they're hitting shots from everywhere. They also shoot 76% from the line, which is much better than Michigan State, 60-some percent. Um, they've done a solid job in limiting mistakes this season at number 90 in turnover percentage. Uh, they also get to the line quite a bit at a, with a ranking of 62nd in free throw attempts to field goal attempts. The one thing they do not do well is offensive rebounding, where they don't even try. <laughs> they're ranked 332nd uh, in offensive rebounding. On defense, not as good. Like I mentioned, they're 96. Uh, they're 88th against threes, 156 against twos, and their block percentage is 344, which it has got to be just about what Oakland was, I think, With so basically no rim protection and uh they've done a good job in the, the glass they've done a lot of turnovers at 88th uh, but they don't get many steals and so i'm not quite sure what that means uh they play a pretty very fast pace they're number 30th in tempo overall and 15th in average length of offensive position possession so in many ways they kind of look a little bit like stony brook but a better you know higher quality Much team. better much much yeah. better yeah uh, finally, Josh, Josh Hertz, uh, He's the coach for the Sycamores. season, his third year. He's done really well. This is a team that was really terrible for for a long, long time. I mean, they were very much an afterthought in the in the MVC. Uh, they've, I think, his first year. So he, he coached very successfully at the D two level. Uh, Thirteen years, won eighty plus percent of his games in conferenced as well. Went to the tournament nine times, Final Four three times, and made to the uh, title game once. They were 11-20 his first year, 23 and 13 last year, and so, you know, he's not only are they you know expected to be much better this year and compete for the title in the conference and make an NCAA tournament appearance, but he's also young. He's only 47, so I think like uh, Byington from James Madison, this is a guy who is a reasonable assumption
1: that he will not be at Indiana State for very long if he continues. to Keep his your success. eye on him. Now, I, I would say, you know, the Missouri Valley does a better job than because it's a better league than most mid-majors. I, I believe I saw it's some. Um, I don't know if this is net. I think it was Cat Palm. It's ninth in the country right now. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Um, that means you're one. And there have been lots of years in, in recent seasons where it's been even better than that. Yeah. Those schools, for the most part, really, really care about basketball and they support it. And so sometimes those schools are able to keep coaches longer than you would think. Um, you know, I go back to uh, Wichita State when they were part yeah. of the Missouri Valley and they had Greg Marshall. Now they had a unique situation with uh, Koch brothers as a as donors and um, you know they were able to do some things financially not every school would do, but I also can remember when Creighton was in the Missouri Valley. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh they kept Dana Altman longer than anybody thought would be possible before he finally did leave. So it's not an automatic, but I just I look at this guy's profile. I mean, the winning percentage at the D2 level is off the charts. He had a rough year his first year, and then after that, the next 12 were just fantastic. Um the year you mentioned he went to the NCAA tournament nine times, reached the final four three times. Um, one of the years he didn't was 2020 when it was canceled, just like the division one tournament. That his team that year was 32 and one, so they were probably <laughs> going to have a great shot to reach another final four, maybe win the thing. Um, so he's done a fantastic job there. And then at Indiana State, this is the thing. The Missouri Valley being the kind of league it is, I don't think, I think it's a lot like, you know, in a way, it's not quite the same level, but it's not too dissimilar from the Big Ten in that to move up quickly is a very difficult thing to do because it's not just about how much better you're getting as a program, but it's also all the other programs you're competing with and how good they are. So for him to move them in three years from way under 500, non-factor, In the first year to last year, very good team. I think they were 11-7 and in the league. Uh, They went to the CBI, which for a program like Indiana State means something because it's extra games, to this year where, you know, they're probably the favorite in that league at this point. Um, That's a pretty fast rise. And so I would think he's going to be on the radar of Power 6 schools. Certainly, Schools in the Midwest should be taking a long look. I don't, you know, when, when I look at the Big Ten this year, there aren't a lot of obvious places right now where it feels like a coach is on the ropes. But by yeah. March, there could there could be a different story. And I just wonder if he'll be on the radar because, or Big 12 schools too, I think would would be inclined to look at him because this is a hell of a start. Getting back to that team, um, offensively, this has been a fantastic group. I mean, the only thing they don't do well is rebound offensively. And and again, they're, they're so bad that they're clearly not trying. They're prioritizing floor balance. Um, but the shooting is crazy. All five of their starters are three-point threats. The lowest percentage among a starter for Indiana State from three, I believe, is 38%. <laughs> so... That's a problem to compound it. You can't just load up on the perimeter and say, well, we're going to do, we're going to sell out to take that away because they also shoot extremely well inside the (laughs) yard. So, (laughs) and, and they draw fouls at a pretty good clip and they make their foul shots. So it's just, it's a tough team to handle. Um, Defensively, they're not nearly as good. There's some real vulnerabilities there. Decent defensive rebounding team. The turnover numbers, I think, are probably a little bit of a mirage. And I suspect, without having viewed a lot of their games, I suspect that we, you mentioned not a lot of it is steel generated. So that means teams are throwing the ball away, they're traveling, offensive fouls, whatever. I'm going to suspect that that's largely a function of – um getting opponents to play faster than they want to and yeah. making more mistakes than they would normally make which is fine that's that's valid I don't know that it will be of much use against Michigan State we'll see um, but you know that's where the issues are for Indiana State they're not a horrific defensive team but they're not very good so um, you're basically going into a game against them I, I, I don't quite put them where you would say think of an Iowa traditionally, but um, it is in a very general sense that kind of analysis where you go into it. And at least for me, when I look at this game, I think you're going to need you're going to need to slow them down a bit. You're not going to shut them down, but you're going to need to slow them down a bit with your defense. And then you're going to really have to execute well offensively. Whoever executes better offensively is going to win. And that's normally, I mean, if we're getting simplistic, that's what the game's about, right? But (laughs) um, I do think it's, it's going to take, you're going to have to do whatever you can to slow them down a bit when they've got the ball, knowing that they're still going to score. And your offense really needs to exploit them at the other end if you're going to beat Indiana State um one other thought you mentioned and i do think it's worth mentioning but it's hard to get a gauge how much it means because it was their second game of the season and avila who i think is their best player was out but alabama took them to the woodshed alabama beat them Mm -hmm. by 22 and that's the only high major opponent they played they faced a lot of solid mid-major teams but no power sixes other than alabama so you know, we'll we'll see we'll see how they handle stepping up in class and and being on the road when they do it. But this is a hell of a challenge, for Michigan State. Um, there are a lot of years where you could have had this national championship game rematch and and had an easy run. This is not one of them. Um, yeah, they they picked played, the worst possible year to play them. <laughs> and they've been back to the NCAA tournament. I don't think a lot. I know they have been since 79, or I'm pretty sure they have been um, at least once or twice. But I don't think it, it doesn't seem to me to be a stretch to say this might be their best team since 79. I mean, this is a really good basketball team in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I would think so. I'm actually just trying to look up and see where they last in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. They're there in 2011 with the okay. Syracuse. And they, they won, yeah. a, they won a game in 2001. They were there in 2000 as well. Uh, but that was okay. the only three appearances since 79. So they've had three. They had yeah. a good run for two years and then 2011. Yeah. And it's funny the Missouri Valley is, you know, if you got to be quite a basketball junkie to watch Missouri Valley basketball. But it, and there are a lot of good programs and the programs that have moved up and out of the Missouri Valley is pretty notable. I mean, you've got Cincinnati, Loyola recently, you know, Creighton, as you mentioned before, Louis, uh, Louisville came out of the Missouri Valley mm-hmm. as well as Wichita State and Tulsa. So. There's some really good basketball that happens in Missouri Valley. Some
1: of that, yeah. some of that's ancient history, though. Like Louisville, yeah, I don't I know, Louisville is like that. Being the that's Valley, the '60s.
0: But, same with Cincinnati, yeah. right?
1: But I will say, in recent years, the Missouri Valley, there is a difference between the Missouri Valley today and the Missouri Valley uh, ten to fifteen years ago. Yes, for sure. Because ten to fifteen years ago, you still had Creighton. You may have still had Tulsa. I don't remember. Um, you definitely still had Wichita State. Mm-hmm. And Creighton and Wichita State in particular, those were basketball schools. I mean, they yeah. support those programs. They've got winning traditions. They both put a lot of players at the NBA. Um, those were losses, you know. And the Missouri Valley did what they could. Valposed in the Missouri Valley, I think, right? Correct. Um you know they've they've done some things to try to to try to supplement that. It's still a good league, um, but maybe not quite what it was as I say a, a decade or so ago when it was a really really good league.
0: Yeah, I think Marshall's joined the league as well, so that's sort of the, as okay. they're moving out of Division Two and now they're Division One, and so you know they're just um, they're just like a obviously a stepping block, like at all these conferences, the smaller conferences are right, whether you want to try and go further. Uh, and then a lot of the schools are just really pretty tiny. Like, you know, my, much my father's alma mater, Drake,
1: is a pretty small school. It's only a couple thousand kids. But that, but that is the thing, though, that's different about the Missouri Valley and the vast majority of other mid-major conferences is that the schools really, for the most part, care a great deal about basketball and they fund it relatively speaking and they have fan support I mean you would know better than I because I think you pay closer attention to it but it strikes me that a lot of those schools you know if you look around on a random Tuesday night you put on ESPN and you see a mid-major game from anywhere around the country What's one of the first things you're going to notice compared to Big Ten basketball? A lot <laughs> of empty. empty seats. Yeah, yeah. That's not normally the case in the Missouri Valley, right? No, I, I mean they, sure they they draw. Yeah. Those schools are really well
0: supported, and so I would argue most of the teams, most of the schools. That's really all they have as far as uh, high right. major um, revenue sport for men's uh, athletics. Yeah, because it's, it's pretty, not pretty a football much basketball. League.
1: It's no, not a I mean, football they're league.
0: Very and. I, I mean, obviously all the schools have football teams, but I don't think, I'm trying to think of any of them right now that are division D1. one football teams. Yeah. I, you know, you right. and I, has mean, got a good team. I, you know, there aren't a whole lot. So yeah, it's definitely. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the, the lineups here for, uh, it, the Sycamores. Uh, this is a segment brought to you by the brothers Suggest just gutters. It's December, almost January, but the brothers suggest You gutters will still take care of your gutter work. Doesn't matter to them as long as it's not like a massive blizzard or something like they'll be out there in the ladders, do the stuff that you won't do. So give them a call. Uh, there's, you can go out, get a hold of them at brothersgutters.com. Uh, Kurt and his team out of the Grand Rapids metro area and then also Greg and his team in the metro Detroit area. They can repair them. They can replace them. They can clean them out. Whatever you need done if your gutter work. to work. Uh, it's not very sexy, not very exciting, but it's something that you'd rather not do. At least if it was me, I hate ladders. I don't like getting up on them cleaning the things out especially when it's like it's always cold it's miserable weather so they actually do that they give you great pricing you get 10 percent off you mentioned final four when you contact them so you can find the contact information below and they're going to be sponsoring the player that michigan state needs to keep in the gutter which i'll be interested to see what rod thinks for all these <laughs> with all the players but i uh, will begin with the starter julian larry 6-3 junior averaging 11.3 points game on 57 62 and 74 shooting uh it doesn't take a lot of threes but um anyway 62 percent is impressive uh and he also leads a team assist 46 with just 21 turnovers
1: yeah i mean definition of a solid a solid guard um doesn't take a ton of threes basically right under two per game but when he does take them he hits them um and he's doing a nice job uh running he, he's not they don't really have a pure point guard. They play through their center a lot. But 46 to 21 is a pretty good ratio. So this would be the, the among the guards. He would be the guy. Larry would be the guy that, that is, for the most part, at the playmaking spot. So, yeah, a lot to like. Next guard is
0: 5'10 junior transfer from Southern Indiana, Isaiah Swope, leading the team in scoring at 19 points a game at 49, 44, and 73 shooting, and also leads the team in steals at two a game
1: yeah and he he is uh conversely he's a much more aggressive shot taker so he's a top scorer obviously and um a, a real threat uh not much of a point guard his assist numbers are very low so uh, this is what happens to guys like him if you're and and he's up a level even because as you mentioned he started at southern indiana so an even lower level when you're ten. And you could shoot and score, but you're not a ball handler. It's tough to get a crack at, say, the Big Ten level. Right. These right. are the kind of guys that get lost in that shuffle because when they're being evaluated as high school players, coaches look at them and say, "Well, yeah, you can play some, but you don't look like you can run my team." And at that size, I can't. I can't have that. Well, those guys end up with the Southern Indianas or maybe the Indiana States of the world, and they could still be very, very effective college players. Um, and that's the case here. He's having a hell of a year.
0: Yeah. Next player is Ryan Cornwell, six, uh, sorry, 6'4", sophomore transfer from South Florida, averaging 15.5 points a game,
1: 4.8 rebounds a game, and shooting 48, 40, and 82. Yeah, another, another legitimate threat. <laughs> Got some decent size on the wing. Um, he's, he played at Southern, uh, South Florida, but, um, I believe he's from Indianapolis originally. So kind of came home with this transfer, but yeah, another good guard, another guy scoring double digits, another guy, 40% plus from three. And he gives them a little bit of rebounding on the wing too, which they need. And now moving to
0: the four, Jason Kent, 6'8 junior, averaging 12.9 points a game and 6.4 rebounds a game, shooting 54 37, so man, paltry 37% and 85 yeah. from the line. It uh, doesn't take a lot of threes either, but as mentioned there, 37%, he can hit them.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, this is the worst shooter in their starting lineup from deep. And, you know, 37%, you should have the green light, right? Um, but he's <laughs> a very important guy in that they don't have a lot of size. This is really not a big team. So for him to be a six-rebound-plus-a-night guy, they're already, you know, they don't do any offensive rebounding. But on defense, they need to be able to limit possessions at one shot. And he's been very critical for them in that role. Um, also important defensively, just have another guy with at least some size to try to resist in the paint, you know. Um, so an important player.
0: And finally, rounding out the starters, Robbie Avila, the player you mentioned, was injured for the opener against Alabama. 6'10", 240-pound sophomore. Uh, He averages 16.5 points a game, 6.6 rebounds a game, shooting 58, 47, and 78. Also, as a 5, it leads the team in assists at 4.2 a game to just two turnovers a game, so a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover
1: ratio. Yeah, he's a very interesting player. You're going to immediately notice him if you haven't seen him before. Uh, he wears goggles um sweet <laughs> he, he's 6'10 240 moves very slowly you know he remind he'll probably remind some of our deeper fans of and i'm drawing up i want to say his name was Krautwig uh, it was something like that the kid uh 2 or 3 years ago for Lo- 3 years ago for loyola yeah um right. who was their center yeah, he had like the he's, weird mustache or something. That yes, <laughs> yes. He's somewhat Avila is somewhat reminiscent of that guy, Um, in that he plays at his own pace and his pace is not fast, but <laughs> he's really able. He's very clever. He understands angles. He's you know got some bulk to him, so he can use his body to create space, and he's very highly highly skilled and he plays to his strengths and away from his weaknesses and if you could do all those things it doesn't matter so much that you can't run very well or you can't you can't clear a phone book when you jump you know <laughs> um to dust off a reference for our older listeners who actually know what a phone book is um <laughs> it's uh but he, he's a problem. He's he, Look, he's the guy to keep in the gutter, in my opinion, because they run so much through him that if you can somehow limit him, you're giving yourself a much better chance to win the game. But if he's able to operate freely and do his thing and set other people up and score some, it, it could be a long night. So he represents a real challenge for Michigan State to to deal with him. It's surprising too that you have
0: a guy who, as you mentioned, it plays so slow. Yet their team in general plays fast. It that he they yeah. must get into their stuff pretty quickly. Like once they get yep. set, they must get
1: things like a shot up pretty fast. I think that's true. And and when we talk about slowly, it's not Wisconsin slow. In that okay, he's standing with the ball, letting seconds drip by, not movement. There's constant movement. It's just that he individually is not a guy who's going to be rim running or, you know, that's not, that's not who he is as a player. I think he makes quick decisions. Yeah. Right. His mind moves faster than his feet. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you can pass the ball the way he can, uh, you know, it's a cliche, yeah. but it's true. Ball moves faster in the air than you can as a, as a person. You know right. and and uh that's something that's a strength of his game for sure
0: we'll move on to the reserves then we'll begin with xavier bloodson six six fifth year senior averaging 7.4 points a game and 2.9 rebounds a game in about 20 minutes uh, shooting 54 41 and 80.
1: yeah another guy could shoot uh <laughs> very important though because as i mentioned this team really does not have much size yeah and that's you know he's got he's six six not huge but that that's the if you got to look at this team and and say is there an obvious thing that leaps out at you as a potential problem it would be that it would be lack of size because outside of a Villa, very small
0: yeah right and very similar to like when we looked at oakland who came in and not much size yep. which you know matches the lack of rim protection and then you know the rebounding right. as well although oakland rebounded pretty well against Michigan State. uh Next would be a Jake Wolf, 6'5", 5th year senior, averaging 2.8 points a game in 13 minutes, shooting 60, 25, and
1: 67. And a guy, finally a guy who struggled hitting shots. but <laughs> Probably one for four, um, right? <laughs> but he'll give it right. But he'll give them some depth at the guard spot. Has a little bit of size there. So he's, you know, set 13, 14 minutes a game. He'll definitely be a factor for them.
0: Guard Mason Miller is a 6'2", junior, averaging 2.8 points a game in 11 minutes.
1: Shoots 42% from the floor and 38% from three. Yep, and no free throws attempted yet. Um, Again, just backcourt depth. You know they got they'll play their guys in the thirties. It's funny for a team that plays as fast as they do. um, It's not the Tom Izzo approach, where you okay, we've got you know this guy played eighteen minutes off the bench, this guy played seventeen. They they really do ride their starters. They've got some depth, but these guys don't play huge minutes. Yeah. It always makes you wonder if you can like run the team into the ground, if you can, if you actually can right. run uh, counterattack and on them, well, especially and the it's guys also, lumbering. It, exactly. And it's also worth noting, yes, they play fast, but that can be primarily, you know, playing fast in the half court. Like they yeah, get right, into their exactly. offense quickly and they take quick shots. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going up and down the floor. And so if you can get them in a 94 foot game, that might make a difference.
0: Uh, finally, for players, the reserves is Aaron Gray, 6'7", junior transfer from Niagara. Uh, he's played in the last two games, just averaging half a point in a rebound a game, shooting <laughs>
1: shooting 0% from the floor. <laughs> right. Just recently started playing. Um, we'll probably see him in a cameo in a couple minutes because, again, he does bring at least a little bit of size.
0: Yeah. But I mean, you look at this minute distribution, if you're paying attention, We have six players, 20 plus, and then you've got a 13 and 11 minute player. So really, like you said, very, very short bench. We're very excited to welcome in our new sponsor of the show, the Squeegee Squad. Uh, Troy and his team in the Grand Rapids area are your neighborhood window cleaners. Uh, They do commercial, residential, high rise window cleaning. They do it all. Most window cleaning services just do residential or they just do commercial, but they will do all of it. And so you might have needs at two different places. And so they can be your go-to place to take care of your windows. And also not just windows, but they will wash your house. They do power washing. Uh, they also do nose to class, which means they're upright next to the windows. So they actually do nice, you know, good cleaning. Also with the house, they use a low pressure power washing with cleaners. So they don't actually have to you know, pound so hard against your, your house. And so they get up on the ladders, they do that stuff. So not actually shooting from a long ways away. So that way they can get a nice, good clean, um, cleaning for your house. And so they do fantastic work. You can find their stuff at squeegee uh, slash Grand Rapids. Uh, you can certainly contact any squeegee squad in America, but the, the deal for 15% off for listeners of the show, if you mention Rebound for your free estimate, uh, that is good through the end of March, which is, you know, really all that we care about is through March. Although, hopefully, we actually have a game in April this year, right? Uh, so, again, check out the squeegee squad, fantastic business. They'll take care of everything you need to do as far as your window cleaning. We're going to begin here. Rod and I are going to have a competition for who can who's going to have the best rebounding performance for Michigan State in this game. Who
1: do you predict in this game? I'm going to go with Malik Hall. Okay. And and my my thinking is, I I would I would be inclined to go with one of the two centers, except that I think with the um, the frequency with which this team shoots threes. There may be a few more long rebounds than we typically see. At least I hope so, because if there aren't, that means they're hitting them. Um, I I was actually on the border of of choosing Jaden Akins. One, because of that, and two, because I think he's overdue for a big rebounding game. But I'm going to go with Malik.
0: Yeah, I think I'm, I actually was thinking about going with Aiken, so I was going to see who you were to pick. So I guess we'll go with the guards, so or at least not the centers for a little change of pace here. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll then go on to the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing, where you should get all your college apparel and Michigan State Spartan apparel. They have all kinds of vintage uh, logos and things like that. You can get on your hoodies, your T-shirts, high-quality stuff Favorite favor of my family. They're just incredibly comfortable. And in fact, we're... Um, we're a, Everybody wears them all the time. It's actually kind of funny. I see our logo shirts on where they're working out or just walking around, just walking around the house. So super comfortable gear. You can find all their stuff at nudgeprinting.com. Again, that's nudgeprinting.com. Final four is one word to get 20% off your order uh, at checkout. And so check it out. Great Spartans, Gabe and Brittany over at Nudge Printing. That is all Michigan produced stuff. Uh, so for the five keys of the game begin. Number one is defend. So uh, I'm not sure what Kevin Palga has against Tom Izzo, but he seems to just schedule teams that shoot blistering hot from three, <laughs> because I think it was like our third team that's 40 plus percent now, shooting yeah. three for the season. Yep. Uh, so obviously defending is going to be the key. And you know that if for a team that's this good offensively, obviously that's how you have to neutralize them. And it's been the way that the success the last three games for
1: Michigan State. Absolutely. Um you need to keep this momentum going, and you know, now we've had a, whatever it's been, a nine-day layoff, so that's a challenge, a hell of a challenge, to be coming off that much time off, and this is the opponent you're facing. Um, it's It's not that different, really, than going into a Big Ten game. You know? Right. It's been the key, clearly, to Michigan State's recent turnaround has been the level they've defended at. This is a different kind of challenge. You know, this is not, this team doesn't share a lot of similarities to Baylor, let's say, except where their offense is rated, you know, uh, overall. They pose a challenge, I think, primarily for two reasons. One, they shoot the ball very well. That's obvious. And that's from everywhere. That's from three, from two. You know, Avila gives them a, a post up option that not everybody has. Then they've got all these other shooters around him. He's a shooter, so you get him in pick and pop or trailing maybe in transition. Um, but then on top of that, they move the ball very, very well. So this is not a Baylor team that's going to square you up with a guard on the perimeter and look to just take you to the rim. That's not what they do they assist on almost 60% of their made field goals. That's not quite a Michigan State number. Michigan State is currently, I think, at 65%, but it's mm-hmm. close. And that should give you a sense. You you know, our listeners know how Michigan State plays. You know, it, it, in Michigan State, Tom Izzo's system, this isn't true of everybody, and it's not necessary to have a good offense, but the way Michigan State plays if they're not getting a high assist to made field goal ratio in place, they're probably not playing the way they want to. They can still win without that in a given situation, but that's not what they want. Indiana state has a fairly similar kind of profile. So that tells you that they're moving the ball very, very well. As we mentioned, Avila, their center is their leading assist guy. Uh, And they run a lot through him. So they're going to present a real challenge for MSU. MSU is going to have to be very connected, very aware, can't fall asleep on anybody because all of the top six guys will even go to the one reserve that's playing a lot. Everybody can shoot, everybody can shoot jumpers. So you can't fall asleep if your man is 20 feet from the basket. You know, that guy's a threat because yeah. they're all threats. And yet, You also can't load up too much to try to take that away because if you do, they'll hurt you inside. So, um, yeah, this is going to be a real challenge of how connected, how focused Michigan State is defensively.
0: Number two, the key to the game is the push. As we mentioned before, Indiana State likes to play fast. They're averaging 88 points a game, which is very similar to Baylor. was averaging, what, 91, I think, when they faced Michigan State. So in that way, I think... Like you said, offensively, pretty similar.
1: Yeah, you you know, again, I don't think they're quite a 94-foot team by design. Mm-hmm. But if they're taking quick shots and you're getting defensive rebounds, you should have opportunities. Now, there, I would also expect that floor balance is going to be a priority. But that's okay. It doesn't even necessarily need to lead to layups or dunks for MSU. It's just force these guys to run more than they want to. Take advantage where you can and then just get the pace of play ramped up in the way that you want it. You know, Indiana State obviously, clearly, is comfortable playing very fast. But I think that's different than saying they want to play a 94-foot game. Right. And that's what I think Michigan State wants to do. And it's going to be interesting, too, We've talked about it. One of the things I think Jeremy Fears has done exceptionally well is his mentality every chance he gets to push tempo. Um, the starters, have A.J. Hogarth in particular, has not done that as consistently. He needs to. Now especially because you no longer have Jeremy. So I want to see MSU's guards really consistently looking to, to get the ball into the court as fast as possible.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the, the keys to that really is the pass ahead. You know, as you mentioned, it's a lot faster yep. throwing the ball in the air than it is to dribble and to, you know, run. And that was something that I feel like A.J. was much better at the last uh, last few sure. years. And this year he's done a little bit less. He's been, you know, bringing up himself for a little sure. bit more. Yep. Uh, so the third key to the game is Avila himself. So as you mentioned, they're a good balanced team, uh, but he's the the key, sort of the fulcrum for what they're doing offensively and a good passer and so, you know, I think the question I think is, you know, how does Michigan State defend him? Do you just dig on him a lot or, you know, deny him entry to the pass and try and make them work through someone else? It'll be interesting to see what the and, you know, and how he's covered by who and by whom.
1: Yeah, I one thing I would I would guess is I'd be surprised to see Michigan State doubling him very much. Yeah, with a good passer um, for sure. Good passer and guys who hit shots. You know, <laughs> yeah, that too. this isn't, this isn't Purdue where you're like, all right, guards who we think are fragile and suspect, you got to prove it. No, I don't think you want to do that with these guys. So I think it's going to be a challenge. To me, the biggest thing is, you know, he's probably going to get his, some of his points. I don't know that you're going to totally shut him down that way. What I'm more concerned about is, does Michigan State allow him to, to just be shredding them, creating for others as well. If they could limit that, if they can make him kind of one-dimensional and say, okay, you're going to score some points, but we're not letting you you know, make us pay with your passing as much, that would be a win. Uh, but he's just, I, I'm very impressed with him. I think he's a very, very good player.
0: So the next key to the game is rebounding. So this is something Michigan State has had trouble, certainly, on the defensive end. This is a team that doesn't offensively rebound at all, but we've seen that even this season, where the occasion teams that don't yeah. offensive rebound still get some work done against Michigan State. And as you mentioned, I think we both feel that with a lot of three attempts that there's going to be the longer rebounds, and so it's going to be important for those guards to really tighten up and make sure they, they block
1: box out well. That's the part that worries me. Um, even with a team that just doesn't even bother yeah, you know, Part of that is they make a lot of those shots. Well, if Michigan State defends the way I think they can. And and make no mistake, Michigan State, you know, this may come as a surprise to some of our listeners, they have been a near elite defensive team. They're 11th overall. They're in the top 50 against both threes and twos. So there's a decent chance. I, let's put it this way. I'm going to be surprised if Indiana State shoots their seasonal average against Michigan State. I expect Michigan State is going to do some things to limit their success, but that means you've got to end possessions. And anytime you're talking about long rebounds, that's a concern. So, yeah, it's really important that MSU's guards stay home long enough. You know, you, yeah, you want to push, you want to run but you got to secure those defensive rebounds. You can't let a team that that plays offense as well as these guys do. If you're fortunate enough to be getting some misses, you can't let them get second chances. And then at the other end, you know, Indiana State's been a solid defensive rebounding team, not a juggernaut, but solid. But they're not very big. Yeah. And we've seen Michigan State intermittently be effective on the offensive glass. I think this is a game where there could be some opportunities, despite the fact that ISU has been solid there on its defensive glass. I do think there's a chance for Michigan state to do some damage with second chances of its own. So I'd like to see that. And and this may be something as we talked about at the outset, you know, if, if part of the adjustment for MSU to the Jer- the absence of Jeremy Fears is um cohen carr playing a little bit more well maybe we start to see more from cohen as an offensive rebounder if he's on the floor a little more often
0: yeah it'll be interesting to see what what happens there and defensively you think he's a, he should be someone who can stand someone on the perimeter too right i mean that's that's been his they, oh they've done well and they're beat down against baylor i mean not only did were they defending the three and making the three attempts really difficult and and awkward but they were securing all those rebounds as well. Yep. And
1: still running. <laughs> you said absolutely it at all. absolutely. No, and and again, Baylor's a very different team in some ways than Indiana State, but you're right about some of those fundamentals here being the same. Yeah, the only difference,
0: I guess, is that Baylor was crashing the boards to try and get those offensive rebounds. They weren't. Yeah. Uh and so Indiana State you'd expect to be a little bit more difficult scoring easy buckets on them, but the other way, I but would agree. again, you want to make it run up and down. So and so finally, key to the game is offensive balance. So, you know, this Michigan State has had this all season. We can't rely just on the threes, can't just rely just on the twos and sort of have to to try and, you know, again, I think defense is probably more important to get to help the offensive balance because it seems that they play better offensively when they're playing good defense. But uh, making sure we're not relying one way or the other on, on that end of the floor.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing to me is you need point production in the paint. Um, to force defenses to respect you inside which means they can't load up as much on the perimeter which means you should get higher quality looks from three when you do take them so it all goes hand in hand and Michigan State has done a better job in terms of getting the ball into the teeth of the defense into the paint in recent games and um Not surprisingly, it's shooting percentages from three have continued to climb as a result. So you're getting better production inside, which is gonna tend to lead to better opportunities from the outside. So it's really important that MSU find that balance. And as we've talked about a lot, they don't have that post-up threat, so they've gotta do it other ways, primarily via the guards and they've been doing a better job at that lately. Now, part of that equation was Jeremy Fears was doing a really good job. He's not available, so it puts even more of an onus on A.J., obviously, but also the other three guards have all got to do that job as well.
0: Yeah, and just final thoughts, I guess, you know, the other thing is you almost say a sixth key to the game is sort of, you know, what is the effect of Fears and what what the players, you know, had to, you know, all that sort of is going on as a result. I mean, I think general they'll respond well, but you never know, I guess, you know, how the response is going to be with something like that happens. I guess probably yeah. by the time anyone heard anything that had happened, it sort of was already to, I guess he was okay in the sense that he was, you know, that was not life threatening by the time probably anyone had heard any word of it. So, um, from that sense, it, there's probably less concern than, you know, he's in the ICU for three weeks or something like that. But, uh, there's definitely gonna be a lot of extra emotion in this game. Uh, Which will you know? Yep. Like anything, you could go be positive or negative. I suppose the way you yeah. You never
1: it. know. You never know how that kind of thing cuts. But yeah, I would. I would imagine there'll be there'll be some of that. Um, I don't. I don't know that. And I haven't seen. Obviously, we're recording this on Wednesday, so we haven't even had um, Tom pre uh, pregame press conference yet. On Indiana State, where I imagine he will disclose a little more, but um, I'm I'm kind of not expecting him to be on campus for a little while at least. I'm sure he'll want to get back as soon as possible for academic reasons, but also to be around his teammates. Uh, but I don't expect he'll be in the building for this game. I wouldn't think. Um, I'd be surprised. So, so maybe, so maybe. The emotional impact will be a little bit mute muted because of that until you know that it's kind of sits this well we know we know he's okay he's not here we haven't seen him you know all of that mm-hmm. yeah maybe it'll be a little bit more muted and whenever that changes um maybe that's when it, it kicks in a little more i don't know it's just yeah. speculation and as you said you never know for sure which way that cuts
0: all right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there again. Merry Christmas to everyone. Hopefully you have a nice, a happy new year coming up here in Michigan state rings in the new year with a, a win over Indiana state, which is, you know, going to be a tough game. So uh, just a final reminder to check out our sponsor, of the show, the squeegee squad. That's it. And you can find their information at squeegeesquad.com. You can locate your area. The discount is of course for the grand Rapids area, the squeegee squad, that franchise, however, there's franchises all over the country. So You are welcome to contact any of them and you can ask them for the same deal, I'm not sure, but at least you can get high quality uh, window cleaning and for your business or your home or your high-rise apartment. Uh, You can also check out Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. And finally, the brothers that just do gutters for any gutter work that you need. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.